Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who is an illusionist from Winnipeg, Manitoba, and uh, in, his passion for magic was par- sparked by an innocent card trick. At age seven, his father, award-winning sports broadcaster Scott Oak, asked his son to pick a card from a deck. Remember it? Put it back in the deck. His father drew that card, astonishing his young son and forever changing his life's path. His audition for Britain's Got Talent impressed both the judges and the audience to the extent that Simon Cowell called him without question the best magician ever on Britain's Got Talent. Having seen him this past Thursday night at the Illusionist, Magic of the Holidays on Broadway, I agree with Simon. It is a pleasure to welcome Darcy Oak to 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Darcy. Hey, thanks for having me. Quite the intro. I appreciate that. (laughs) And and we see a couple of doves flying right out of the studio. (laughs) So, you know, I alluded to the magic trick that your dad performed that was the inspiration for your career. However, it really wasn't magic, was it? No, it's funny you mention that. Yeah, it actually, it was it was a complete accident. Like he had nothing planned, nothing prepared. He was just going for it, just messing around, and it ended up being an actual miracle to me at the time. And yeah, that completely changed the game for me. It was it, it's funny looking back on it because if it hadn't worked out like that, like who would know if if I would be here now? Yeah, it's funny. It's just randomly, his father got the right card. You know. I have to tell you, what I found fascinating is that magic knows no age. I watched the reactions in the audience and saw the look of amazement and disbelief after each and every illusion. What do you think it is about magic that appeals to all, not only all ages, but to all cultures? It knows no boundaries. Well, that's exactly exactly it. Like, it, it, whether whatever age, whatever you're from, whatever nationality, it, it doesn't matter because it puts everybody on the same playing field. Like, everybody has the same sort of, you know, preconceived notions of what happens on a day-to-day life regardless of where you're from. And when you see something magical, you see something impossible. It doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, what nationality you are, what sexuality you are. It puts everybody on the same plane. And that's, I think it's one of the only art forms that does that. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing, actually, looking at it, because it really doesn't matter, you know, your, your past experiences or anything like that, it, it, it takes you away from the day-to-day problems regardless of where you're from or who you are, and it, and it makes you, you know, see something that you can't explain. You know, in deciding you want to become a magician, did you study, as, as, a, as a child growing up, were there any particular magicians who you admired and studied and tried to figure out how they did their illusions? Yeah, you know what? It's funny because uh, I actually like what what really captivated me as a kid was watching uh, you know magicians with birds, and that was like that was what really hooked me. And uh, there was all these old school guys that would use jacks with birds, and they went top hats and tail coats, and um, you know that's how I, that's what I started doing when I was like nine, ten years old. I had this like tuxedo on, and I would be doing this bird act. Like I saw these guys that I admired, and then as I sort of got older. I, uh, you know, was like, well, this is kind of weird. Like, nobody wears this anymore. <laughs> so I started just sort of, like, doing it in, like, my style. And it really kind of became, like, my sort of staple point. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was really that. It was, it was, it was seeing a magician, you know, working with birds. That was, like, kind of the, the, the point for me that, like, really got me hooked on it. And that's the act I started working on. And I just brought my own style to it. And that kind of took me on a life of its own. 
When you say you found your own style, you know, from all accounts, you were a pretty shy kid. How did magic help you overcome that shyness to be able to perform in front of people? It was one of those things, like going into going into a room. It was it was kind of like uh, in my own like mental state, like knowing in my head that like I can do something in this room that nobody else can do, and that kind of like sort of brought this like comfort and peace and ease to like just being in a in a circumstance that might be like uncomfortable for for a kid like that, and just knowing in my head that I was like, all right, I got this this like I got these tools that I can pull out at any point that these people will, like, be amazed by. And just knowing that I had that sort of in my back pocket kind of, like, made me comfortable. And then as I sort of got older and time went on, it was like I started busting them out and started utilizing those and sort of being like, all right, I'm going to pull them out now just, like, just to get a rise out of these people. And I started doing it more and more and, you know, started seeing the reactions from these people. And really, uh, you know, once, once you start seeing the response from people when you show them something impossible, it's, it's like, it's, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a drug, if you will. It's like I must keep doing this because <laughs> people are blown away, and I have to show everybody. You know, <laughs> yo, it's ironic that you're a shy kid because your dad makes his living broadcasting to millions. Um, for those that mm-hmm. might not be aware, Scott Oak has covered a total of twelve Olympic games. Regular contributor to Hockey Night in Canada. Were you a sports fan at all growing up? You know what's funny? It's like not really, and it's like it's. It, uh, I hate to say that because I feel like my dad would be like, ah. But it's—I it, learned so much watching uh, outside of like, you know, being a fan of the sport. It was like more of what I took from that, just watching on TV, was like how to command the room, how to present yourself, how to speak in a commanding way, and like, you know, it was never really about watching the game itself. It was more about for me, like watching him and the other broadcasters, like how they how they present and how they speak in their vernacular and, and the way that that all unfolds was like was really the captivating side for me. So it's and, and it's something that like we actually never even to this day have never really spoken about. It was just like sort of learned just by watching and he sort of let me like find my path. It was never like he was giving me notes on how to speak and how to like you know he just he just he was the utmost supportive that any parents could be but also let me, like, go on that journey and, and figure out the right and wrong way to do things. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's crazy to look back on it now and, and realize the things that I learned just by watching him and never actually being, I guess, like, directly taught, if you will. So it, 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 it's cool, actually, like, to, to look back and see that, like, you know, we never actually sat down and spoke about, like, he's like, you should talk like this, you should say this, and blah, blah, blah. And just sort of let me find my path and... And I, and I learned by watching him sort of, you know, through osmosis, if you will. It's interesting. And the reason why I brought up your dad is that on Thursday night you made a joke that you wanted to be a doctor, but your parents wanted you to be a magician. Um, I know your dad was a pre-med student when he volunteered at the campus radio station, and that was his introduction to broadcasting, and that quickly became his passion. He decided to pursue a career in radio instead of being a doctor like his twin brother. Um, So I was wondering, was there ever really a thought of you being a doctor? And based on your dad's life choices, was he supportive of you pursuing your passion, which was magic? Yeah, like, I, I have never had any sort of plan B or fallback plan or anything. It was like as soon as they saw that this was, like, the, my goal and this is what I was working for, like, both of my parents were the most supportive of it, and they were never like, well, what if this doesn't work out? It was always like, 
well, when's your next show? And the funny thing is, like, so after high school, I went to uh, I went to college or university for one year, and I quickly learned that if you uh, had unpaid parking tickets, they would never send your transcripts home to your parents. So, like, I never went to class. I was constantly like working on material and trying to like book shows and do all that. And so, I racked up as many parking tickets as I could, never paid them, knowing that my parents would never receive my grades. And then, uh, yeah, they never got them. They never, they, they never knew that I actually, uh, you know, failed out of it. <laughs> but they were the most supportive of, like, you know, just, just being like, it doesn't matter um, if you don't have a plan B, make sure your plan A is the main plan. Make sure that you have another show and that you're not just sitting around trying to, you know, figure it out. Make sure that, you know, there is a show coming up. And that was always sort of their support system. It was never like, well, maybe you should figure out a fallback plan. It was always make your plan A work. Right now, I'm feeling kind of proud of myself because I'm actually a better illusionist than he is. Because my college grades, I was able to change an F into an A, and my parents never knew about it. So, that's cool. That's, well, that's, that's not called illusion. That's I called made sure My parents never received them. <laughs> right, right. right. You, made, you made them disappear. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so, so baseball has certain venues that are must on bucket list. Fenway, Wrigley, the Hall of Fame. Football has Lambeau. Mm-hmm. Basketball has had the Garden. Hockey has the Forum. Had the Forum or the old Maple Leaf Gardens. But Magic has the Magic Castle in Hollywood, the famous nightclub for magicians. Which I've actually been to. And and Magic Enthusiast. It's actually an amazing night. This is 40 years ago. It's been going on forever. Forever. It houses the Academy of Magical Arts. Why is that the the Lambo, the why is that the must for magicians? Oh, that's that's the go-to place. That's the hangout for magicians. You can't just go there if you're you're not a member. You have to be friends with a member or you have to have a guest pass. yeah. The elusive nature of that whole place is like is what makes it what it is, and like you know, I uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to perform that before I was even actually legally old enough to enter the building, and that was kind of like for me that was sort of the stamp of like, all right, I'm on the right track here, and that and and that was you know that place is amazing. That that like going there is if, if you're performing there or you're just like just going to hang out, it's like you can see every aspect of the craft, every aspect of the art form. In, in every way conceivable, and it's such a fun night. It's memorable for everybody who goes there. There's part of me that wishes that it was more available to just the general public, but also I feel like if it was, it wouldn't have the same sort of, you know, the same stature that it does right now. But it's that that is that is the place. Like that's that's the place for magicians to perform or to go or to hang out. That's sort of the, uh, you know, the center for for the art form. It's it, it, such amazing place. Just to get to be a member there, you have to do a, a magic trick that's be approved by the panel of magicians before they'll let you, you know, pay your membership dues. You have to do a trick, and the magicians have to say, "Hey, you know, that's okay. It's you're in." It's like the it's, secret it's, club. It's like, it's like the, the secret, secret hands. Right. Hand. And you go from room to room, and there are different you know, mm. different acts. It's, it's, that's awesome. See, it's amazing. So you know, as sports fans, we look back at the greats of the games, and AJ alluded this a little bit. I'm wondering, you know, we have. Biographies. We have, you know, tapes, you know, and we know there's the the debate who's the greatest baseball player of all time, who's the greatest hockey player of all time. Um, You know, not knowing that much of the history, in my mind, everyone, they talk about Harry Houdini. Was he the greatest illusionist? And uh, is there material for that that we might not be able to get our hands on, but you as magicians are in a circle are able to get, you know, archives of how a certain illusion was done? Oh, absolutely, and and like 
I find now in like today's day and age, the strongest material is just a slight variation on things from that time frame. Like, you, like you know, in, in today's culture and today's society, nobody's necessarily reinventing the wheel. We're just kind of like using new technology to to make stuff happen when it comes to this craft. And it's you know, like there are there are. I think the, the strongest things are taking something that was an old classic and rejuvenating it and bringing it into, you know, today's culture, today's society, making, making it something modern that people haven't seen before. Because the best stuff I find, like, in, in the magic and illusion world are the simplest things that, like, an audience can explain in one sentence. That's like, for example, like, you know, the guy disappeared and reappeared here. It's like when it's that easy for them to describe, that's the most powerful thing. And that, that's what I think, like, from, from, you know, the turn of the century, like back then when Houdini was around and all that, that's what they were doing. It's so easy for the audience to describe. There was no, like, there was no Internet. There were no blogs. There were no things like that for people to explain it in a million sentences. It was like somebody said it to their friend, and, you know, that's how he sort of created this, like, you know, this, this legendary status. And I think, you know, for, for what he did in that time frame, when there was no social media or any of that, he, you know, he had a way of creating his respect that would be legendary. So I think, you know, and there's definitely, like, old, old archives and, like, you know, things that, like, I know specific people have. or It's a very small community. So you can, like, you can suss out the people who have certain things and certain knowledge on certain effects and certain historical knowledge on things that, like, you know, everybody's kind of connected in a way that you're going to reach out to and they'll fill you in on. So it's like, it's kind of like that. It's a small community. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to that, it's like I heard way back in the day Houdini or Thurston or Keller did something like this, and you can reach out to somebody who you know has the knowledge on that. When you talk about updating it, I think if you take a look at your final illusion on Britain's Got Talent, basically it was in a Houdini-type escape, with the technology of the jaws closing in on you, if you didn't, uh, while the flame while is the burning, flame, flame like, is burning. Geez, yeah. Like so, <laughs> is, is that sort of an example? How, how did you decide? Say, okay, I'm going to take the Houdini escape, and this is how I'm going to update it. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's like you know, back then, like people were like, "Oh my God, this guy's hanging from you know a building with a hanging, you know, locked in a straitjacket." You know, today's day, where we've you know seen so much more like gruesome things <laughs> since then, it's like. You know, you do have to up it and bring it into today's culture, and that's exactly what I tried to do with that piece. Is there an illusion from back in the day that, or, or even a modern one, that the inner circle doesn't even know how it's done and is like the holy grail to try and figure out? Or does everyone know how, within the community, how it's done? Uh, I mean, there's definitely theories on a lot of stuff, but there's also a lot of things that you can read through, like, different, like, books and literature and stuff that, like, there's, there's been, like, documents that have been destroyed. Like, a good, good friend of mine in London who's, like, a magic historian has a blueprint of this one particular illusion where from Houdini, like, directly from Houdini, which was the craziest thing I've ever seen, but one of the parts of it where, like, the key, like, actual method had been, like, ripped out of the paper. And he has this actual thing, but the most important part was ripped out of the paper. So it's like... There's, yeah, I mean, like, you can definitely, you know, speculate on how it was done and, and all of that, but also understanding that they didn't have the technology that we have now, it's like, well, how did they actually make this work? And, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's, we can, there, there aren't 
too, too many things that we don't necessarily know how they were done, but there are a few things that, like, when you read how they were described without being able to see it on video, it's kind of hard to sort of put it together. But generally, the, you know, there's kind of an understanding of how we think it was done, but you'll never really know. So when you went on Penn and Teller, You've done a lot of things with mm-hmm. birds, you know, for birds, for the flames, it's, and then these things. It's crazy. You, with Penn and Teller, you did a card trick. So what made mm-hmm. you decide to do the card trick and, you know, how, how you actually fooled Penn and Teller? Like, I never went on there expecting to fool them, to be honest. I went on there uh, sort of bringing back the classic that I found in, a, uh, in an old book, like, way back in the day, that I sort of brought, you know, into my show and sort of working this bit. I, I really only went on there as to get, like, a, 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 you know, a little bit of respect from them, like, because I hadn't seen anybody do this old bit forever. If not ever, I hadn't seen anybody actually do it, like, in a way so that I kind of, you know, wanted to do it. So I really only went on there that they would be like, oh, this kid knows his history. He knows, like, he knows what's up, and it's exactly what they said in the comments after. So I, I never went on there, like, to fool them. I went on there to be like, hey, like, I'm not just, like, coming in trying to do, like, some visual stuff that's going to fool you. I'm coming in here almost, like, you know, paying homage and showing respect to the people that came before me. That was, you know, that was kind of my approach there, and, and that's pretty much exactly what happened. You know, it's interesting because uh, seeing the show Thursday, I honestly have to admit there had to be not, not one. I mean, after every single illusion, I turned to my friend that I was with. I just went, what the F? I go, like, how did, <laughs> like, uh, you know, you with the, and since then, I've watched him on YouTube, and I sat there with my wife. I go, what the F? Like, how did, like, not only the birds and, and then the, the two cages to one and, and just an egg to a bird and, and then covering the cage and then a woman appears. But now with the age of cell phones and not only that, the technology at this show, your illusions are on a big screen there. So, like, after the first bird, like, I'm watching every single move you make and I, I just I can't figure it out. But with, with modern technology, does it make sleight of hand and illusions tougher now? Well, I would say just, like, in the fact that if you go on YouTube and you can watch it, like, in slow-mo and you can, like, repeat it over and over and all that. But I think, like, in the actual movie, um, you know, it, it, it does sort of both things. It's enhanced and sort of detract from the art form in the sense that, like, you know, we have different technologies nowadays that, like, people didn't have back then. So we can do, you know more crazy things, but also with that technology, you can watch it in slow-mo, and you can repeat it over and over to try to figure out how it works, but I think all of that overall just, you know, helps to push the art form forward. It's like, you know that creating a bit, you know that if somebody's filming it, it's going to end up online, so you have to be, you know, one, two, if not three steps ahead, so that, like, once it does go online, you know if someone slows it down, they're not going to be able to figure it out. So I think it just forces people to be more sharper and put more thought into their material, knowing that it's going to end up in front of the masses at some point, you know, being on YouTube or whatever it may be. I'm wondering, when you do a solo show, you develop a rhythm, and the show kind of builds. So how does working on a show like The Illusionist Magic of the Holidays on Broadway differ when you're going from illusionist to mentalist back to an illusionist, you know, and you're not on stage for the full time of the show? Well, that's exactly it, and that's kind of, you know, I kind of, I think that's the thing with, like, any artist in this show, is, like, you have your time, and you have your time to connect with the crowd, and, and you're showing a different side, of, a different style of magic, and I think, um, you know, I think, you know, in this environment, it, it, it can go sort of either way, where you, where you only have a limited time to connect with the crowd, and then, you know, within 10 minutes after that, they're going to see someone else, 
And so I think it's just, again, it's sort of the same type of thing. Like, like forces you to use that time as best as you can. So, like, all right, I only got, like, 10 minutes here. So I have to connect with them the best that I can. Um, so, but, you know, in, in a solo show, it's like you have the whole 90 minutes, two hours to take them on that journey, take them on that rhythm, and take them into ebbs and flows. But I think, you know, with this show being only a limited run, it's, it's more so let's, let's show them as much uh, mind-blowing, flashy stuff as we can in this limited time frame. So, um, you know, and, it's, and I think it, it tackles and touches on every sort of, um, you know, kind of clientele coming to the show, whether it's kids, parents, grandparents, whatever it is. It's sort of it's a great family show that brings everyone together. And I think it's, it's, the approach of this show is more so let's show them as much mind-blowing stuff as we can in this limited time frame instead of, you know, one guy or the next guy or girl, uh, you know, showing them something that's going to, like, you know, connect with them, if you will. It's, 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 a, whole, it's a whole thing is, is different being part of an ensemble show than it is doing a solo show, for sure. It is definitely one mind-blowing thing. I, I think out of all the things I was able to figure out one, and I'm not even sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I figured out one of the illusions. But So lastly, you know, being part of that ensemble, like, is there competition among illusionists to, to top you know, the other illusions? And when you're in that ensemble, like, what's backstage like? Are you guys like, doing illusions for each other? Well, you know what's funny is like in, in this environment, I think because of everybody you know that's involved, it's like I'm I'm utilizing this, and I know a lot of guys are as well, like as an opportunity to just sort of you know riff on different material and different ideas. Because as a magician, you're normally working solo, and in this environment, you have the best of the best around you. So it's like, well, why not when you're not on stage? Like, let's, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this idea? I've been working on this. And it's like, I'm using it as an opportunity to develop other material outside of the show and get different viewpoints and like. You know, because you can spend all the time in the world reading and researching or whatever, but somebody else who's doing the same thing might have, you know, different sources that's researching other areas of it as well, where, you know, they might have a different, you know, idea or viewpoint on, on the particular piece. So it's like, I, it's, it's, it's a very uh, productive environment to be in. And, I, and, you know, we're all here together. We're all in this to make it the best show that it can be. I don't know, there's not necessarily any competition in terms of like who's getting the best response or who's doing the most time or anything like that. It's like we're all in this together. Here's what the show is. Let's utilize this time to all better each other, uh, which is which is very very rare for a magician to be in that environment. So it's it's, it's really cool. It's an awesome show. Uh, Darcy, I have to tell you one thing also. Uh, you are very good because you basically, um, ironically, the Winnipeg Jets are playing the New York Rangers today. And when, you went on, when we went on the air, the Rangers had a 3 nothing lead. You've made that 3 uh, nothing lead almost disappear. It's now 3-2. Rangers still beating the Jets. Uh, Where, is that game in, in New York or Winnipeg? New York. New York, yeah. So, uh, oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't going to know. I would have gone. Oh. <laughs> Well, then we wouldn't have been able to have you on the show, so I'm glad you didn't know. That's so, uh, true, true. Right. Uh, the Illusionist Magics uh, of the Holidays on Broadway will be running until December 30th. Uh, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for at least four What the F Moments Thursday night. I'm hooked. I'm surely will be at any New York area performances that you're involved with in the future for sure. Amazing. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Darcy Oaks, part of the tremendous cast currently performing The Illusionist, Magic of the Holidays on Broadway, running now until December 30th.